Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Bush Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Rip Krupnik shares how he got lucky in love. The part about luck that I think is, is accurate is that you have chance and then you have chance and opportunity. Chance is you're standing in the wrong place at the wrong time and a safe drops on your head like a Bugs Bunny cartoon and you're crushed. That's just bad luck. You had no choice in that matter whatsoever. You didn't do anything wrong. Opportunity is you walk into a casino, you want to gamble, you pick the right machine, you put a dollar in and you win $10,000. You've made a conscious decision to take a chance. Now, the one place where I think luck plays the biggest role in all of our lives is in love. Because love is like a lottery. We don't know when we first lay eyes on somebody whether that person is really going to be the right person or not. You know that story of locking eyes across the room and you look at each other and, hello? Well, I'm going to tell you my story about love. It starts in 1975, and I'm 17 years old. And before you take out your phones, that makes me 59. <laughs> I live in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. I am recently graduated from high school, and I am playing rookie league baseball and living my dream. In Paris, France, is a beautiful, curly-haired French girl who's also 17. I won't tell you her age. <laughs> and she is very sophisticated, has traveled throughout Europe, has a wonderful knowledge of art and poetry. Well, let me tell you how different we were. Her Sunday lunch would be with her friend at a place in Paris called Petrosian, which is a caviar restaurant. And her friend's family would take her out for caviar and champagne and uh, smoked salmon. On that same Sunday, I was probably eating two Big Macs, an order of fries, and a Coke. We are as different as night and day, and yet, somehow we're going to be together. And how we become together is this story. So, Isabel, that's my wife's name, was supposed to go to London that summer. And at the last minute, about a month before really, she decided she did not want to go to London. Instead, she wanted to do something different but did not know what that would be. And her older sister found out that there was a program that took French Jewish kids from Paris and would fly them to America, Los Angeles of all places, and they would put them with an American family. <laughs> yes, you guessed it. My family was the family. However, however, we had no plans up until the day before that Isabel was coming in to take a French girl. In fact, she came to us by pure chance, luck. My aunt and uncle were supposed to have her at the house. And at the last minute, they decided they did not want anybody in their house. So literally the day before she's supposed to come into town, 
We get a phone call. Actually, my mom does. They tell the whole story about the French kid, and would you please take her off of our hands? That's pretty much the way it came out. So I call in from the road to tell my folks how I did that day. And I get a, uh, this from my mom. Well, that's wonderful, honey. Oh, and by the way, are you home tomorrow night because your French wife is coming? <laughs> Excuse me? Well, she tells me the story. And sure enough, the next night, Isabel does come, but it's not really at 10 o'clock. It's more like 4 o'clock in the morning. She's been traveling forever. And my introduction to this beautiful, sophisticated French woman, French girl, really, at the time, is my mother, in typical Jewish mother fashion, says, honey, what can I get you to eat? Would you like something to drink? Would you like something to eat? What can I do for you? And Isabel says to her in that wonderful French accent, oh, no, madame, the only thing I would like is to take a douche. <laughs> well, it certainly got my attention. <clears throat> Until she grabbed my mom by the hand and pointed to the shower and said, douche, douche. And we learned a new word that night. <laughs> so, that summer, I didn't really see much of Isabel. Uh, also on the program with her that came in was her boyfriend. And um, they were doing their things and I was doing mine and basically we would see each other either for breakfast if one of us got up at the right time or for dinner. But we weren't hanging out. And then one day I had to pick her up and I noticed she had been crying. And I couldn't figure out what it was and I said to her what's going on and she explained to me that her and her boyfriend had had a fight. And this really is the start of the friendship. Because we talk not just about the fight, that takes five minutes to figure out that a 17-year-old adolescent Frenchman is an idiot. <laughs> and instead, we just start talking about each other. And I learned things that I had heard a little bit about, like her father had passed away when she was 12, just turned 13, actually. And we talk about Paris and what it's like to be a student there, and I talk a little bit about myself, and we become friends. Well, the month ends, she goes back to France, I go back to I actually go to college, and I start doing some acting and I'm playing ball. And we don't hear anything from Isabel really until about four months later when she calls out of the blue and says to my dad, not even talking to me on the phone, but says to my dad, look, my sister's boyfriend needs to do a, uh, an internship with an American company, can you help him find a company? And my parents not only said yes, but She's going to stay in our house. Now, this is another luck moment. It's a moment that changes my life. Because when they come to stay with us that summer, my parents had also taken over the program that Isabel was on the year prior. And I get hurt playing baseball. And I'm, this is kind of like how I identified myself. Uh, it was my dream, my career, what I wanted to do, and I couldn't play. And I was depressed. Now, on the positive side, there was another French girl who was on the program the year that Isabel's sister came in, and her and I had a little tete-a-tete, as they say in French. And Isabel's sister says, why don't you come to Paris? I'm going to be here till about October. Come to Paris, and you can stay in our house. And I do. And I make a very important decision. 
I talked to my college professors, because I was majoring in broadcasting at that time, and I said to them, look, can I, can I challenge some classes? And they said, yeah, you can. And we figured out that if I did a weekly radio show from France, and remember, this is now 1976. It's not a podcast. <laughs> There's no FaceTime. I'm doing audio cassette tapes, and I'm mailing them back about what's going on in Paris. Now, at the same time, my folks had arranged through the gentleman who was running the program for me to teach English. So I've got a little bit of income that's supposed to come in. Fast forward, I go to Paris, and at the airport to meet me is Isabel. And the oddest thing happens. As she hugs me, and most French people, it's the two kisses on the cheeks, she actually hugs me, and she's crying. She's that happy to see me. And years later, I said to her, you know, we weren't even going out yet. What possessed you to do that? And she said, I don't know. I just remember that I was really moved to see you. So in the living arrangements, there's two choices, because the apartment is small. One of them is to sleep with her mother. <laughs> That's not going to fly. The other was for me to sleep with Isabel in the same room. Now, you think, ah, here's where it's all going to come together. We're still good friends. In fact, I'm dating this French girl for a little while, and the kicker that I, Isabel reminded me to tell this tonight as we were talking, unfortunately, she's out of town on business. But she says to me, remind, tell everybody that your girlfriend was so jealous of me, which she really was, and she called me on the phone one day and said, yeah, I'm sure you're with that very glamorous girl who you live with. Isabel had a green mask on her face, a uh, shower crap cap on her head, and this battered old robe. And I said, you have no idea how sexy she is right now. <laughs> but what really happens during this time is we get to know each other as true friends. She discovers Paris through my eyes. I'm 19. I've never been anywhere, really. And I'm going to see things and do things that I've never done before. I mean, she was, Isabel was with me when, I, when we went to the Louvre, and in my lack of knowledge of art, put my arms around the winged victory for a photo op, which the guards weren't too happy about. And I had to carry her that same day because she wore very high heels. And there was cobblestones. High heels and cobblestones don't go very well together. And I remember us laughing because I'm carrying her about 400 feet from the front of where are the exits of the Louvre to where there's actual concrete. It's becoming my best friend. We talk every night until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. I break up with this girl. Isabel's fixing me up with, with her friends. She's talking to me about her boyfriend problems. And we're talking about life. We're talking about what do we want to do. I tell her I want to be an actor, or I want to go into broadcasting, or I want to do something in the arts. But we're still so different. I mean, people say, well, you must have thought something at that point in time. There must have been a spark. And it was, we were so, so socioeconomically different. Isabel was used to a certain way of life, and my feeling was at that time, well, she's only going to want to marry a millionaire. Uh, she didn't get what she bargained for and with me. And I never thought of her other than as a friend. Well, fast forward again, I, I have to go home. Uh, it's 12, 
12 weeks later. I go home under circumstances I'm not happy going home under because I get very sick when I'm there. Uh, no health insurance. And I passed three kidney stones at 19. And that, besides uh, draining my kidney, it drained my bank account. And I literally ran out of money and had to go home. And Isabel's mom helped out with paying my hospital bill, which I insisted on paying her back. And so when I go back to Los Angeles, I go back almost defeated. I mean, I went with such high hopes, and I went, I'm going to be this, you know, the first one of my family to go to Europe since we came from Europe. And I come home, in a sense, with my tail between my legs. And the only things that I remember at that time was I got back to my regular life of school and work and theater, is that I really miss Isabel, and I miss Paris. And so I'm dating this girl at the, at the time who was a beautiful model. And it goes to beauty on the inside, beauty on the outside. And on the outside, she was a model. And on the inside, she was not nice. And the kicker for me was we went to a movie, and after the movie, we went to some coffee shop, and I think I left a 5 or $6 tip, and she took 50% of it and put it in her purse. And that really pissed me off. It's not me. I mean, I'm a, I really am a romantic. I'm looking for a princess to carry away. I'm looking for a dragon to slay, and I'm just really angry. And I start to think, and I think this is important about relationships. You have to know yourself to know what you're looking for in a partner. And I think you have to know what you don't like as well and not be willing to accept that in a partner. And I started listing all the things that I did not like about this person. And I started thinking about all the things that I liked about Isabel. And I had a, an epiphany. I think I'm in love with Isabel. But I'm in Los Angeles. And Isabel's in Paris. Luck comes again. She calls me on the phone maybe eight days later. And she says to me, I'm going to be traveling throughout the Southwest with my cousin and my best friend and a couple of other friends. Can I stay at your house from July until September, to the end of September? And I said, well, why don't you come sooner? <laughs> like, tomorrow morning, I'll pick you up at the airport. And she said, no, I can't come really right away because I'm going to be at my sister's wedding, the same sister who came to Los Angeles. So one week later, I should say maybe four weeks or five weeks later, the sister gets married. Luck. My brother-in-law went to the best business school in France, and military service was mandatory in France at that time. He gets posted as the commercial consulate attaché in Beverly Hills. Isabel's sister is going to be there for two years. She comes after the marriage, literally 10 days after the marriage, and Isabel's going to come five days after that. And I say to Kathy, I say to her, look, does Isabel have a boyfriend by any chance? She says, no, why? This is called male ignorance. Well, I don't want you to say anything to her. <laughs> but I might want to go out with her. I would have been better off plastering billboards <laughs> all over the airport because as soon as Isabel got off the plane, she didn't even wait. Rick wants to go out with you. Rick wants to go out with you. Well, that puts a real strain 
on Isabel. She has no expectation, no knowledge, no nothing. She gets hit with that literally walking off of a 13-hour flight. And now she doesn't know what to think. Now, the kind of relationship that she and I have, or had at the time especially, was honesty. You see, one of the advantages of living with the person that you have an infatuation with or in love with is that you never have to worry whether they're going to call or not. They're right there with you. We never played games. We were always honest with each other. And so she came into my car, and I remember we drove around for a little bit, and we stopped the car someplace, and we talked about this. And I said to her, look, you know, this is, this is maybe just me. It's maybe my infatuation. So if it doesn't work out, I don't want you to feel bad about it. I, I just, if you don't want to get a date with me, fine. I will just chalk it up to my infatuation. We'll leave it at that. And then we also said one thing, because we knew each other so well, is if we do date, we're probably going to get married. Just knew. Well, one week after that, the opportunity presented itself, and we kissed. And it was a romantic moment. And one week after that, I asked her to marry me. Now, I'm 19. She's 19. I don't have a job. Not a real job. And the question was, she, did, she was not sure, even though she was sure, she said yes, but she said, well, I have to give you a formal answer, maybe when I come back from my trip. So I make it a point to meet her in San Francisco, and as I am at, literally, this could be out of a movie, I'm at Fisherman's Wharf, and we see each other, and she is running towards me yelling, yes, 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 yes. And, of course, my heart bursts, and I'm happy, I'm thrilled, I'm all the things that you want to be. And then we decide when we're going to get married, which is a year and a half later. Now, think about this. You know, we're apart from each other for a year and a half, basically only seeing each other in, in, in you know, dribs and drabs. You know, she'll come in for the summer, I'll meet her at spring break, but that's it. So what do we do? Ah, I remember my days as a broadcaster. I say to her, here's how we're going to communicate. Because by the way, 1976, it was $2.75 a minute for a phone call. I certainly didn't have that kind of money, and I like to talk. <laughs> so I said to her, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send audio tapes to each other. And we'll just talk about our days. I am proud to say that I have 78 audio tapes still in my home. We've listened to a couple of them. We laugh. I've said to her that our children are going to inherit these, and maybe we would be wise to at least edit out some of the ones that we, that we don't want them to see <laughs> or hear. Well, I'm going to end the story with, a little, with another little story. We did get married a year and a half later. It was in Paris. It was as romantic as you might think it would be. But just before the wedding, just before, we were taking a subway someplace. And sitting in front of us, maybe four or five rows, was an elderly couple. They had to be in their 80s. And they were holding hands. And I turned to Isabel and I said to her, that's going to be us in 
in 60 years. Well, I'm going to be 60 this year. That's going to be us in 20 years. And I have one wish for the two of us, and that is that we go to Paris one day when we are 80, 81 years old, and we're sitting in the front row, and there's a young couple sitting behind us, and I want the young man to turn to his girl and say, that's going to be us in 60 years. Thank you. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org. We will find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.